All right, let me set it up this way. It's Romans. It's Romans chapter five. It's Romans chapter five, verses one through 11. So get your Bibles out, get your notebooks out, get ready. If you don't have your Bibles and you don't have your notebooks, shame on you, but unless you're a guest, because you didn't know at that point. If you're a student, you know the drill. Um, I'm gonna give you one more assignment though. Get your phone out. Because there's gonna be one slide in particular I want you to take a picture of. Because I think it's gonna help you. Maybe you're not like me, but if you're like me, there are days where you just wake up and it seems like all you can focus on is everything that's wrong with your life. You wake up and things just don't seem to be going right. And inside you kind of feel like, does anybody really love me? Am I worthless? Is there anything I can do that's good and right? Why am I even here? You let the circumstances of life get in your head so much so that it affects your joy. I'm not talking about happiness. Happiness is determined by what happens to you. Sometimes we're happy, sometimes we're sad. There are things that happen in life that rightly make us sad. But I'm talking about sometimes you actually allow these circumstances of life to impact your joy. You're not able to rejoice because the things of life, you are thinking about them so much that it just comes on you and you're just like, I just don't even know why I'm here. I don't know what's going on. Does anybody ever have that feeling? Is it just me? Okay, so here's the good news. Here's what Paul's doing as we set this text up. In Romans chapter one, two, and three, in fact, we've got, the, we've got the slide. We can throw it up for you. And we use the cross. And so we talk about condemnation first. And so in one, two, and three, all the way to 320, it is condemnation, baby. I mean, it gets us in our funk because he tells us that we're so horrible, we suppress the truth. We're so horrible, we put other idols in front of God. We don't worship God. We are condemned. We are rightly condemned. We have no hope. There is nothing left for us. And he gets us way down in that sorrowful state. But then in 320, he brings good news. He says, wait a second though. There's justification that can be found in Christ Jesus. There's salvation that can be found in Christ Jesus. There's good news that comes in Jesus Christ. And then after he does that in 320, in chapter four, he goes through and he talks about Abraham and David, and he proves it's always been this way. Old Testament saints are saved on credit towards what Christ's payment does. New Testament saints are saved on debit, looking back on what Christ has done. And so there's good news, and there always has been good news. We just missed it. Now in chapter five, he turns. It's no longer about the explanation of justification. It's about the implications of justification. I'm gonna give you a definition for justification too because some of you are visiting with us and you you don't have that and, and we're gonna lay that out for you. So before I read the text, let me give you my main idea. And the main idea is also gonna include a definition of justification. Here's our main idea. We should rejoice in our justification. We should rejoice in our justification. Joy, not happiness. Not the happy meal at McDonald's. Not that I'm happy because Pittsburgh won a ball game last night, even though they're still playing pretty pathetic on offense. It's not that I'm happy that the Texas Rangers won the World Series, even though I like the Braves first, but Texas likes the number two fans. So, and they never have done it. Not that, because that goes away. Any of you that are Cleveland Browns fans know about that, right? I mean, it happens every season, right? (laughs) Sorry, I had to. I'm just kidding. 
Actually, I'm not kidding. It's really, you guys have perseverance. I'm talking about joy. I'm talking about the fact that I realize there's actual good news out there. So what's justification? Here's your, here's your definition. This is me mingling up other people's definitions together for us. Justification is a legal act. Think courtroom. The judge, just judge of the world, declares. What is he declaring? He's declaring that you're a sinner, but now you're righteous. He's not making you righteous. He's declaring you righteous. So you're still messed up just like I am. You're still gonna sin just like I do. But you are declared righteous, and that's the best news you're gonna have all day. And then he forgives your sin based on what Christ has already done on the cross. Christ has paid your penalty. Christ has suffered all that needs to be done as a substitute. He's gone to the grave. He's conquered the grave. He's risen. And now that righteousness is imputed to you because your guilt was imputed to him. And so you are then justified. Think of it as just as if I had never sinned, even though we all do and we continue to. It's the legal declaration of our ultimate salvation. So you got what the term justification is now, right? So here's our outline. This is what I want you to take a picture of. This is what happens. We should rejoice in our justification and we have reasons for doing that. We have seven of them because it establishes our peace with God. So take a picture of this. When you get in your funk, when you get in your, oh, woe is me. Oh, nobody loves me. Oh, I can't do anything right. Oh, everything's wrong. Here's what I want you to do. Go look at this. Why is it that I should rejoice even though I mess up all the time, even though I've got issues, even though I fail God, I should rejoice every single day because all seven of these things are true about me, not because I'm anything special. I'm just as rotten as you are. But it's true because of what Christ has already done for me. It provides me peace with God, the creator of all. I have peace with him. Not because I'm good, but because Christ is good. And he's given me that peace. And this peace is not a feeling, it's a declaration. It is established peace with God. It gives me access to God. I gotta stop, I'll go through that in a minute. It gives us a glorious hope. You can get through anything in this life if you have hope. You can get through differential equations because you have hope that at the end of the semester, you'll never have to do it again. Now, they're gonna say, yeah, you have to do it in your job, whatever. You can get through the hardest class you have, whatever that may be, because it ends. You can get through your college degree because there's hope that you graduate. Can I get an amen on that from somebody? Thank you. Women give birth because there's hope that the baby will actually be there one day. And then they do it again. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Hope. We live this life because we have hope. This is not all there is. Listen, we can rejoice in suffering. That's hard. We'll spend a little bit of time there. We got seven, so we're not spending much time anywhere. It proves God's love for us. I'm gonna drill you deep right there because you are loved more than you will ever understand, comprehend, or know. Salvation from future wrath. You're never gonna experience God's wrath if you're saved. That's glorious news that you can rejoice in. And you have reconciliation with God, your creator. All right, we gotta read our text and then we gotta dive in. All right, if you're able and willing, please stand in honor of the reading of the text. Rejoice is in here three times. You're gonna see all of those points in here. Let's look at it. It starts off with therefore, 
you never start a sentence with therefore or a conversation with therefore that it doesn't point to the previous section. So he's pulling it all with us. That's why we walk through it. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, here we go. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we also have obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, our glorious hope. Not only that, but we rejoice in sufferings, knowing that sufferings produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were weak, notice the repetition here. For while we were weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps a good person, one might even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, weak sinners, there's repetition here. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For while we were enemies, we were weak, we were sinners, we were enemies. We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Oh Lord, there's no way I can do any justice to this text. It is so deep, it is so rich. So Lord, would you help by the power of your spirit to focus the minds of people in this room where they need to focus for their own spiritual growth, for their own sanctification? Lord, would you help us in our darkest, deepest moments to remember that we should be rejoicing in our own justification? And God, we thank you for the truths that are in this text. Help us to remember them and live them out for your glory and not our own. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. And you may be seated. All right, let's walk through. We've got seven points we're gonna walk through. We gotta walk through these quickly, so let's just dive in. Therefore, since or because we have been justified by faith, number one, we have peace with God. This is your first point. You're gonna have peace with God. The peace with God is not a feeling. It's not a warm fuzzy. It is the declaration of a reality. So even if you don't feel like you have peace with God, if you are justified, you have peace with God. How do we have peace with God? It's through what Jesus Christ has done for us. This is one of the reasons we rejoice in the justification is because now we have peace with God. This peace that we have is something that God initiates, not us, because we learn later on that we're weak, we're sinners, and we're enemies. So God, the creator of it all, has initiated reconciling us together so that we now have peace with him through the Lord Jesus Christ. Number two, we can rejoice in our justification because we have access. Think about the access you have to God. Look at what it says here. Number two, verse two. Through him, we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice. So we have obtained access. Think about your Old Testament thinking caps. He calls the people out of Egypt 
He puts them in there. There's a tabernacle. The Lord's gonna have his presence in the tabernacle, but there are sinful people. And so the sinful people have to be separated. So they create this holy of holies and the priest can go in one time a year and they tie a rope to him to drag him out just in case he dies. There's no access. Here's where God is and you can't get there. They create a temple and build a temple and Solomon builds this temple and there's a wall keeping Gentiles out. So I can't even get to the inner portion of it because there's a wall that separates me from God and there's a veil that separates even God's people, the Jewish people from having access to God and his holy of holies, his presence is in that one place because he can't be in the presence of sin. And so all these animals die to make a sacrifice by their blood just to allow any type of small presence of God to come within us. And then Jesus comes, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and he dies on the cross. And because my sin is imputed to him, he pays that penalty. He's the substitute. He then takes all the wrath of God. And then he gives me access to God. You remember what it says. The veil was torn from top to bottom, not bottom to top. It's as though God reached down with hands and said, enough. It's finished. It's satisfied and the veil was ripped. So you don't have to go through an intercessor. You don't have to have a priest that talks to God on your behalf. You don't have to sacrifice animals in order to have access of God's presence. Now as a believer, God lives within us. The Holy Spirit lives within me. And the only way that happens, because I'm so sinful, is the imputation of Christ's righteousness being given to me, being put on me so that I'm clothed in his righteousness. That means I have access to God. Who's your first phone call? Something good happens. Who's your first phone call? Something really bad happens. Who's your first phone call? We all have it. We have it in our minds. And if you're in the room and you're married, you're probably thinking, my first phone call is my spouse. If you're dating seriously, which means you're a sophomore, junior, or senior, then <laughs> your first phone call might be that person that you are just so infatuated with that you have no logical reason, ability left in your brain. But it's that, it may be that person. If you're not dating, which is fine, it may be your best friend. But it may be your mom or your dad whoever you're close to. It may be a grandpa. Who's your first phone call? Here's what I wanna get into your minds. We have access to the God of the universe who created it all, who can fix it all, who can change it all, and who's gonna recreate it all. Our first phone call in our minds should always be to God. Something incredible happens. God, thank you for this blessing. I don't deserve it. Something horrible happens. God, you're the only one that can grant me a peace that passes understanding. You're the one I need to turn to in every single moment. It's fine to have a second phone call to a spouse or a mom or a dad. Moms and dads really like that. So here's your reminder, asterisk. If you haven't called your mom or dad in the past three weeks, after your homework assignment for today is call your mom or dad and make sure you tell them you're okay and you're having fun. Because some of you got so busy you forgot about it. So call them. Friends, we have access to God Almighty. I can pray and the God of the universe hears me. Are you kidding me? I can't talk to the president of the United States. If I called him, he's gonna say, who do you think you are? But I can talk to the God of the universe. 
So why would I ever care to talk to the president of the United States? I'm going up the ladder and there's nobody higher. So why don't we pray? You can rejoice because you have access to the one person who can fix anything that's wrong with you. There's nothing that happens to you in this life that a good resurrection can't fix. There's nothing that happens to you in this life that a good new heaven and new earth can't fix. And we have access to the one who can do it all. All right, we gotta keep moving. We don't have time to spend, we could spend hours. We can, all, all of these, and people have. So we move to number three. We have a glorious hope. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. This word hope appears again. Not only that we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that our sufferings produce endurance and endurance produces character, and then character produces hope, because we know, oh, if I made it through that, I can make it through other stuff. Those low times, those hard times, those times that are difficult give us hope because we make it through them so we can make it through other stuff. And then it says, we have a hope that does not put us to shame. So this is not like our flippant hope in our favorite sports team. Oh, this year's the year. Yeah, right. It's not like a flippant hope that we have. I could say many things. I'll stop. It, it's a real hope that's not gonna be put to shame. We have hope in Jesus. He can do it all. He can do whatever he wants to do. He got up from the grave. We have a hope that's a certain hope. And so we have a glorious hope. Friends, you have hope. In those moments where you feel like, eh, it's hopeless. No, it's not. It's hopeless. We're up against the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army is coming and we don't even have weapons, much less chariots. What in the world's gonna happen? You're not hopeless. Red Sea, get out of the way. And off they go through. Okay, hold up. Let's take those chariots and sink them in the mud. Red Sea, get back together. And you look around and you go, what in the world just happened? The battle's going your way, son. Stand still. Let's send a little bit of hell and a little bit of fire to destroy the enemies of the Lord. Let's make them hear thunderous noises that don't even exist so they will flee away. Friends, I'm telling you, I don't care where you are, I don't care what you think, it's not hopeless. You have hope, and you have a glorious hope, and that's one of the reasons we rejoice. We can also rejoice in our sufferings, and this makes no sense, and you gotta get this. How do I rejoice in my sufferings? Because I have to look at what happens at the end of them. This is, this is why we lift weights. Why do I put myself through the pressure of lifting something that's too heavy for me to lift? It tears my muscles down, but then at the end of that, my muscles build back stronger. Or for some of you that are still trying to get the date with the girl, they build back bigger. And you're like, yeah, I want some bigger biceps, so maybe she'll say yes, or something of that nature. Why do we run? <laughs> so we can drink Chick-fil-A milkshakes. Why do we run? <laughs> because the running produces an endurance in our cardiovascular system that then I feel better. But while I'm running, <sighs> what am I doing to myself? Why am I, some of you said like, yeah, I get it, I don't run. Why are you torturing yourself? Because that endurance that's created then produces a hope, it produces a glorious feeling. When we go through bad things in life, when things happen to you, think about it like this. If I'm going through a hard thing in life and you're gonna go through hard things, and let me tell you this, if you're doing great things for God, you should anticipate hard things right after that. 
If you're gonna go out and share the gospel on another campus the next day, you should anticipate the world falling apart. If you're gonna, you heard our chapel speaker just the other day. You heard him yesterday. If you're gonna step out on faith and you're gonna do something amazing, anticipate the devil to throw his spear at you. If you're gonna start walking with God, anticipate some hard times because the devil doesn't like it. And if he can shake you off the foundation, he's going to. But if you stay firm on the foundation, then that's gonna produce an endurance in you. And that endurance in you is gonna produce a character in you that you are who you are when nobody's looking because you trust God. And that character is gonna produce hope. And friends, we have a glorious hope. And we can rejoice in our sufferings. Now, here's the deal. You can never rejoice in your suffering if you allow your feelings to determine where you're going. If you are driven by feelings and not by fact, you've got a problem. The fact of the matter is, it doesn't matter what happens to me in this life, it's gonna all be okay. The fact of the matter is, the Bible tells me there's a purpose in the pain that I go through. The fact of the matter is that even though really horrible things happen, God's still on his throne. The fact of the matter is when I wake up in the morning and feel like nothing is there and nobody loves me, God has already demonstrated his glorious love for us. The feeling may be that I'm hopeless, that I'm worthless, that nobody loves me, that nobody even likes me, that nobody cares about me because they didn't even invite me to go do the fun stuff they're doing. You, you get in your funk and your feelings tell you all sorts of things that aren't true. But if you let your life be driven by truth and by fact, and you replace the lies of the devil with the truth of scripture, you can rejoice even in the hard times. And you should expect hard times. It's in here because we are gonna suffer. John 16, tells us, in this world, you will have tribulation. I can promise you, you will go through hard times, but I can also promise you that God will be with you in the hard times. And if you lean into God, you will come out the other side with more endurance and more character and more hope. So we can rejoice even in our sufferings. And let's all admit it, that's hard. Why did this happen to me? Look what happened to Christ. So we rejoice and we have hope. And our hope's not gonna be put to shame. Why? Because... Friends, we have God's love and God's love for us has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit, that comforter, that counselor who has been given to us, who lives within us. There are times and there are moments you talk to somebody that's gone through deep waters, you will experience the love of God in a way that you cannot explain in deep waters and that gives you an endurance and a perseverance and a hope that nobody can shake. The foundation is solid and when you hit the foundation, you realize that Jesus is the rock. And he gives us love, supporting to us by the Holy Spirit, but not just that. Look at how it continues on here because Christ is gonna demonstrate his love for us. For while we were yet weak, at the right time, we could go into all sorts of things there with the appointed time. Christ died for the ungodly. And then he goes on this tangent, we'll come back to. And then in verse eight, it says, but God shows his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You question, does God love me? You don't know what I've done. You don't know how bad I am. Yeah, I don't know how bad you are and it doesn't really matter because my Bible tells me that God showed his love for you and that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. While you were weak, while you were an enemy, while you were a sinner, 
Christ died for you. That's ultimate love. You will never comprehend that love. You will never fully understand that love, but you can take truth in the fact that it's true that God loves you. God's love for us. And then we look at what it says here with number six. We are saved from the wrath of God. We will never have to endure the wrath of God. Look at what it says. I'll just walk through the whole thing right quick. Verse six, it says, we're weak. Christ died for us, for the ungodly. Verse seven, he goes off on a tangent here, Paul does, and he says, scarcely one's gonna die for a righteous person. Perhaps maybe for a good person, one would even dare. But God's love's even greater than all of that because God shows his love for us in that while we're sinners, he dies for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, because he died for us while we were sinners, while we were weak, while we were enemies, then how much more are we gonna be saved by his life and the wrath of God? For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, so much now more that we are reconciled. So even while we were enemies, he saved us from the wrath. Now, because we're no longer enemies, he's brought us into the family, he's reconciled us, he's gonna save us through his life. And so friends, you are saved from the future wrath of God. And then it comes to the final point here. And the final point here is that we are reconciled to God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. Some of you may have a misconception. You may think I'm not that bad. It says enemies. It doesn't say while you were the bad friend. It doesn't say why you were the friend that wasn't there when somebody needed you. You were the friend that didn't return the text or the phone call. You were the friend that didn't invite the other people. You were the friend that didn't do whatever it is. What, what, what is it? You were the friend, oh, you were the friend that asked the girl out that he liked. Oh, it doesn't say that. It says you were an enemy. What does an enemy do? An enemy seeks to destroy you. The enemy that's out after you is gonna tell lies about you. He's gonna tell rumors about you. He's gonna seek to do you harm. He's gonna undermine you at every corner. This is the enemy. This is the Aaron Burr to the Hamilton. Thank you. Somebody appreciated that reference. This is the person that has the kryptonite to your Superman. And they're trying to chain it around your neck. And that's who we are as rebels against the king to God Almighty. And what does he do to you, enemy of God? He dies for you. The God who should crush us. Think about this logically in your mind. The God who is most powerful to the worthless ant he should crush us because we're his enemy. We're biting his ankle. And instead of crushing us, he dies for us. How can it be that thou, my God, would die for me? So then let me ask you the question. How much are you loved? Enemy of God? that's been reconciled by his blood. It may be free, but that doesn't mean it wasn't costly. 
By his blood, Jesus reconciled us to him. And then it says more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So listen, you don't have to be afraid of going to God. Yeah, but see, I messed up. Yeah, I've got this sin issue and I went back into it and I messed up. You know what? Christ died for that sin issue on the cross just like he did all your other sin issues. He's covered that issue. You've been clothed in Christ's righteousness. You're declared righteous. You're not made righteous. And so even though you keep messing up, you are reconciled to God who is the creator and the Holy Spirit lives within you. That doesn't mean you keep messing up. Should we keep sinning then so that grace should abound? May it never be. But what it does mean is it means that you don't have to be afraid to come back to God. So here's your application. Three, three quick points of application for you. Number one, Christians should be the most joyful people on earth. Joyful. Maybe not happy, but maybe happy too. Happy depends on what happens to you. Joy doesn't. We should be the most joyful people on earth. Why? I've given you seven reasons that we should rejoice just in our justification. So friends, I wanna challenge you to be joyful. And can I also tell you that nobody likes to be around somebody who is unhappy all the time. It just brings everybody else down. Be joyful. People like to be around somebody that's joyful. When I'm around you, you make everything feel better. Why? Because we have the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number two, we should anticipate sufferings and learn to appreciate the outcomes of life's challenges. Full benefit. The Navy SEALs have the saying, whenever they have to do something that's really horrible, full benefit. If I'm gonna have to go through something that really, really, really is bad or disgusting or nasty or gross or whatever it may be, full benefit. I'm gonna get the full benefit out of it. Translate that into my life. If I have to do squats in order to have stronger legs, I wanna get the full benefit, baby. I mean, I wanna, I wanna do it in such a way that leg muscles are there and I go to Chick-fil-A afterwards. Like, I want the full benefit. I want you to get full benefit in your life, spiritually. So when you go through something hard, don't lean away from Christ, lean into Christ. When you go through something that's difficult, who's your first phone call? It should be God. Call somebody else afterwards. Call God first. That's your first thought. That's your first phone call. That's the first person you lean to. And anticipate it. So you come to us and you say, my life's falling apart. What happened? I got a 94 on this exam. I don't have any sympathy for you. C's get degrees, baby. If you're one of those people... You busted the curve and I'm sitting here at an 80 and you're telling me about your 94. I can't believe I got a 94. Wham, get over it. <laughs> you come to me and you say, my life is falling apart. What's wrong? He broke up with me. She dumped me. You won't believe it. In the grand scheme of life, come on now. 
If that's the person God has for you, it's gonna all work out. And if it's not the person God has for you, then there's something better anyway. Were you putting that person as an idol in your life so that all your joy rested on that person because that person can't bear that weight? Or were you seeking to be joyful in Christ and just running through this life with a person alongside you? My life is falling apart. I lost the intramural pickleball championship in 17 degree weather on Thursday night. You chuckle, but how many times do we allow our thought processes to take us down a deep spiral over something just as silly? You don't understand. I get a free t-shirt if I win. Do you see it? You're gonna go through hard times. You're gonna have tests you don't do well on. You're gonna have people that no longer wanna hang out with you. You're gonna have challenges in your life and I want you to be ready for them because they're coming and I want you to lean into Christ and I want you to lean into God and I want him to be your first phone call and I want you to think about the process when it happens, especially if you've gone and done something amazing for the Lord, you're gonna share your faith, you're, you're preaching your first sermon, you're leading in worship, you've got that job and all of a sudden in that job, you're sharing your faith and then trials come and your first thought should be, okay, Lord, I need to do this well because if I go through this trial well, it's gonna help produce perseverance in my life and that perseverance is gonna produce character in my life and that Character is going to give me a hope that's unshakable because my faith rests on you. Full benefit. And then the last thing I want to tell you is, friend, you're loved more than you'll ever know. You're an enemy and a rebel against the king, and the king dies for you. So when you wake up in the morning and you're like, am I good enough? Am I loved? Yes. Yes. but I want the other person that's my age to love me. Why? That person's so inferior to Almighty God. And they're so fickle. And they're so sinful. And they're so messed up. Are you loved? Yes. So how do we rejoice? Because Almighty God, while we were yet sinners sent his son to die on a cross for us. For God so loved. And that's us. So friend, I want to remind you, you should rejoice in your justification. And I want to end with just this slide. You were loved. No matter what bad thing happens to you in this life, you are loved. Dear God, would you help us to make sure we don't allow our feelings to drive us, but to make sure we lean into the truth of Scripture, to the great truths you've given us here in Romans chapter 5. Lord, if we have truly repented of our sins and put our faith in you, we are justified. We're declared righteous. And Lord, we then can rejoice in that justification even when everything else has fallen apart. So Lord, would you help us to remember that? Would you help us every day to speak truth to ourselves and not allow our feelings to drive us? 
but would you allow us to rejoice in you so that, Lord, we can be a witness to a world that even when things are falling apart, we're rejoicing and they look and go, how? And we can say it's only by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, the one who died for us while we were weak and sinners and enemies. So it's in his name we pray and it's for his glory we live. In Jesus' name, amen. And you are dismissed.